Listen, all you New Yorkers. Is the 77 WABC minicast. This is Dreams by the Cranberries. Uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection by my friend Jennifer Sabetti, who is a great friend, a longtime friend, and uh, lives in Minnesota these days. And the last time I saw her was on a trip to Las Vegas. That also happens to be. The place that I saw our next guest, it was the year 2012. He had just been nominated for vice president by the Libertarian Party. I was out there at the convention, and uh, we had moseyed our way up to not only he and I, but about six others, to the Lucky Bar at the Red Rock Casino in Las Vegas, and it was music to my ears, spoken like a man that was absolutely trying to get my vote in the general election, which he subsequently did. He said, all right, I'll have a drink with you guys, but I insist that I buy the first round. I'm thinking this is my type of vice presidential candidate. And we settle in, poised to order a drink, and he gets a call on his mobile phone announcing that there's some controversy with who was going to be elected as the chairman of the Libertarian Party, and that he has to go and deal with this. We never had that drink together, and more important for my purposes, I had to buy my own drink, which I can assure you was not at all lucky for me at the Lucky Bar. I want to uh, welcome back to the program Judge Jim Gray, who in addition to being a former Libertarian candidate for vice president, was a former preside, is a former presiding judge of the Superior Court of Orange County, California. He also is sort of a renaissance man. He happens to be a playwright and an author whose books include Wearing the Robe, The Art and Responsibilities of Judging in Today's Court. Uh, good evening or good morning, Judge Gray, and uh, I am hoping that I can cash in on that cocktail whenever we're in the same time zone again. Mr. Morano, it's always fun to be with good people. And, you know, I manufactured a whole story just so I could keep from buying you a drink. Uh, it wasn't me, easy either. <laughs> that, is, that is the hallmark of any fiscal conservative, so I can absolutely understand that. And uh, I, I wouldn't blame you. Now, um, one of the stories, kind of a serious story, not, not kind of, a very serious story that I brought to the audience's attention yesterday was the story of this uh, Maryland Circuit Court judge, Judge Will. Wilkinson, who had uh, ruled against someone in a family custody case, a divorce case. A couple hours later, that person came to his house and killed him while his wife and child are, were home. Over the weekend, I happened to be around another friend of mine who's a judge who uh, sentences some very tough people to very lengthy prison sentences. And he said he could absolutely see a scenario where one of these people came out of prison and came after him. And it led to a whole conversation about judicial security and not having judges hurt or threatened or killed, God forbid, because of the what they're doing on the uh, on the bench. What's your take on how the issue of judicial security can be handled in the short term and in the, and in the long term? 
Well, well, Frank, this was a horrendous situation, of course. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we deal with a lot of people, a lot of emotion, a lot of their money, and we affect their lives rather substantially. And uh, there's sometimes people that are not exactly mentally balanced either. But they're really, unless you really realize there's some particular threat, there's not much that we can do. Uh, judges try, I think, universally to shield their home address from, from the public. But otherwise, you know, uh, if you, you want to track people down, you, you pretty much can. If you've, I, I had a threat against my life a long time ago, but at least we knew who it was, and it was a guy who was in prison at the time. So that didn't concern me quite as much. But it's a threat. And, and we're dealing with human emotion and a lot of really important issues. And it's something that you just have to acknowledge. I, I mentioned it in my book, Wearing the Robe, which talks about the judicial perspective pretty much all the way around, uh, considering uh, just, just the history and the evolution of our judicial system, all the various court systems. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're dealing in, in a lot of difficulty, and it's just something you have to to, to be prepared for and, of course, be, be careful about, but you can't jump at shadows either. So absent a specific threat, it sounds like there's very little that society can do. I, I think that's true. That, that's true, of course, with almost anyone, if, you, if it comes down to it. Mm. Uh, you know, we're not living in the White House with Secret Service. And, uh, you know, anyone that, uh, gosh, we've had people who are elected officers that have been, been harmed before. It's just it's the nature of the beast. And, and it's something that we have to be prepared for, but, of course, be, be careful about as well. Certainly. Uh, let me ask you, I, uh, I don't want to spend much time on this because when one mentions the word Trump, it just is an invitation for polarization. And uh, there's really no winning, I think, from a media perspective. But there's a lot of interest in the legal cases of the former president, specifically the gag orders that prosecutors are either seeking or uh, that uh, that one judge has implemented. There was a, an op-ed in the L.A. Times from somebody who I think was a Trump critic who said essentially that the gag order imposed on Donald Trump is satisfying, but it's also an unconstitutional infringement of his First Amendment rights. You've been a judge. I'm sure there have been applications for gag orders before you, but you've also been a candidate for national office. How do you balance the need for candidates to speak out about issues, including the justice system, and the need for a judge to maintain order and not have uh, prosecutors or court clerks um, called out in in tweets to 40 million people. What do you make of the, the debate over the j- gag order in President Trump's case? Well, let me share a deep, dark secret with you that you've probably never heard of before, Frank. Uh, life is complicated, <laughs> and uh, that's certainly true in this situation. We, we've never as a country seen something like this before. But I learned in judicial college, and I, and I bore it in mind the entire time. I, I'm retired now, but I was on the bench for 25 years. You should not, must not order something that you cannot enforce. And uh, my goodness sakes, it's critically, critically important that we as a people in our country see the judiciary as not being political. And if you think that you're going to enter into the political sphere there, which they are, 
uh, it's deeply, deeply concerning. And he does have a constitutional right. And now, you know, heaven's sakes, he's a candidate for president again. He's an ex-president. So if somebody on the campaign trail asks him about his charges in, in uh, these various circumstances, are you going to prohibit him from being able to respond? I've written about this. I say that we should tread very lightly on it and uh, not issue an order that you cannot enforce and not be seen as being judicial. So I do not believe that that gag order should have been issued. Interesting. People are just talking, uh, tuning in. We're talking with Judge Jim Gray. He is uh, the author of Wearing the Robe, The Art and Responsibilities of Judging in Today's Courts. It's available on Amazon and most places that uh, that books are are sold. You know, Judge, I had a, a I have a pretty close friend of mine, and uh, he had a, an accomplished career as a prosecutor. Had worked in the private sector, worked in the public sector, and had really just an incredible resume for a judicial candidate. And I said to him, "You know, why don't you run for judge?" And I I think this person could have been elected. There was just a judicial seat created that he would have been perfect for. And essentially, what he said to me is, "Well, unfortunately." What they've done is they've made the job of being a judge so difficult that you really can't be a judge. You're almost there just to uh, just to met out paperwork and apply a uh, a prescripted formula, and you really don't have much of an opportunity to exercise a lot of judgment. That's one of the reasons he chose not to run. My friend Mario, uh, as far as you're concerned, the job of being a judge in America in 2023, do they still let judges be judges? Frank, I, I disagree with your friend profoundly. Uh, yes, we can. We haven't. Just take a step back. We have an absolute mandate. That we have two mandates as a judge. Number one is to to do the right thing as best you can to tr- try your case and make your decisions based upon the facts, the law, and our ethics of our profession. Do justice as best we can. And number two is equally important, and that is for anyone that cares to believe justice is being done. But there's a great deal of leeway. Uh, you have to explain your decision. You know, you're right because because I say so, or you're wrong because I say so is never well received, nor should it be. You have to explain. You have to appear to be con- of concern, and I hope you are. Most judges are. But no, there's a great deal of discretion in, in our jobs as judges. 